to your seats, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 124. Psalm chapter 124. I'll give you a second to get there. And I'll know you're there because when you've arrived, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. Psalm chapter 124. While you're flipping there, uh, my name is Pastor Michael. I'm privileged to serve as the lead pastor here at New Breed Church. We're thankful that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Thankful for those of you who are visiting with us. We are in the midst of a series, uh, just a summer in the Psalms, where we're taking a look at uh, different Psalms throughout the summer, seeing what the, the Lord has to say through them. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 124. If you're there, will you stand as we read God's Word together? It's a short one, a sweet one. David writes this, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when people attacked us, they, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Blessed be the Lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I want to tag our time this morning. If it hadn't been for God, if it hadn't been for God, let's pray. Heavenly Father. We owe all that we are and all that we have to you. Because if it hadn't been for you, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But because of your great love, you have made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we have been saved. I pray that as we look at the words of King David here in Psalm 124, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to that want to be shaped to look more like Jesus. It's for your fame and for your glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> On September 1st, 1939, World War II began. Adolf Hitler and the German forces invaded Poland, sparking... This worldwide conflict that, whether we recognize it or not, would forever change the shape of the world as we know it. Two days after Germany invaded Poland, France, Britain, Australia, and New Zealand all declared war on Germany. And within a year, it would have seemed like Germany was going to win World War II. Because in 1940 alone, just within the span of actually less than a year, Finland, Holland, Belgium, Norway, France, they would all surrender to Germany's great mind. But then on July 10, 1940, the Battle of Britain began. And then newly elected Prime Minister Winston Churchill was thrust into the midst of one of the greatest conflicts that Britain would ever know. Now, over the next few years, as everyone around them seemed to surrender, Churchill refused to give up. Bear with me, this isn't a history lesson. I'm making a point. 
over the, the next few years, as everyone surrendered, Churchill refused to give up. He famously said, you may have heard it, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. And though this speech sparked a needed air of hope among the British people, behind closed doors, Winston Churchill knew that if America didn't enter the fight, didn't matter how many nice words he spoke, if he did not find an ally in the United States, Winston Churchill rightly knew that all of Europe would be lost to Germany. You see, Winston Churchill knew something. Winston Churchill knew that he was fighting an adversary that was too great for him to defeat on his own. He wrote at the end of 1940 to President Roosevelt and said this, as we reach the end of this year, I, will, I feel you will expect me to lay before you the prospects of 1941, and I do so with candor and confidence because it seems to me that the vast majority of American citizens have recorded their conviction that the safety of the United States, as well as the future of our two democracies and the kind of civilization for which they stand, are bound with the survival and the independence of the British Commonwealth of Nations. And in this letter, what Churchill is doing at the end of 1940 is he is pleading with the United States to get involved in the fight. But the United States would not get involved in the fight. All that they would do was to build some ships and send resources to Britain because a year earlier the United States declared neutrality but then on December 7th 1941 a day that will go down in infamy the attack on Pearl Harbor occurred and Churchill reflecting that night after he heard of the attack said this in confidence to one of his secretaries being saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation I went to bed and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. He went on later to note, I don't think any American will think it wrong of me if I proclaim that to have the United States as, at our side was to me the greatest joy. I could not foretell the course of events. I did not pretend to have measured the martial might of Japan. But now at this very moment, I knew that the United States was in the war up to the neck and to the death. So we had won after all. He continued on, and Churchill said, England would live, Britain would live, the commonwealth of nations and the empire would live. How long the war would last, or in what fashion it would come to an end, no man could tell, nor did I care at that moment. Once again, in our Long Island history, we should emerge, however mauled or mutilated, safe and victorious. We should not be wiped out. Our history would not come to an end. We might not even have to die as individuals. And again, the reason that Churchill said this was because Churchill knew that despite skill, despite expertise, despite knowledge, there will come times when you will face an adversary that you cannot overcome on your own. But if you have the right ally on your side, before the end even happens, victory is guaranteed. Now, I didn't get up this morning just to talk to you about Winston Churchill, though I, I like Churchill. He had some faults, but interesting man. But I got up this morning to tell you that Churchill was not the first person to realize that truth. Because on a much grander scale, King David knew it well. Because what Psalm 124 reminds us is that there are times in life 
when our adversaries are too many, and there are times in life when our enemy is too strong, there are times in life when if we are left to ourselves, there is no way out. But what David is declaring is that he knows that he's never been left to himself. He knows that there is a God who rules and reigns with complete authority, and if it hadn't been for God, David knows that all would be lost. But the incredible declaration is that when David's back was against the wall, when what lay in front of him was too much for him, it was in those moments when David can testify that God showed up if it hadn't been for God. And in Psalm 124, David helps us consider this idea. It wasn't just true of him, but it's true of us as well, that if it hadn't been for God. And so what David does on Psalm 124 is very interesting. David looks at three different periods of time. And as he looks at those three different period, periods of time, he, he teaches us something. And so what I want to do is I want to I show you those, those three different period of times and, and what David is reflecting on and, and hopefully share with you some things that we can learn. So here's Here's the first period of time. David, David looks at the past. Specifically, he looks at past deliverance. Look again with me at Psalm 124, the first five verses. David says, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. You see, in these first five verses, David is looking back. He's looking back on the past, but he's specifically looking back on past deliverance. Now, there are a few things that we can learn from this. I want you to notice some things as David looks back. See, here's, here's the first thing that stood out to me the most as I was considering David looking back at the past deliverance. Here it is. We don't know who the adversary is that David is speaking about. David never says who he's talking about. We do, we do know that it has to do with all of Israel, whatever it is, because he says, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. So it's not just that he's saying, if the Lord had not been on my side, but he says, let all of Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us. But we don't know exactly who the adversary is that David is thinking about. We don't know what specifically he had in mind. But we do know that David had a lot of things he could have been talking about. You see, maybe, maybe as David says this, he's reflecting on his own lifetime. Maybe he's talking about 2 Samuel 15, after he became the king. Because what we read in 2 Samuel, 5, or 2 Samuel 5, I'm sorry, not 15, what we read in 2 Samuel 5, verses 17 through 19, is that when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they, they all went in search of David. But he heard about it. And went to the stronghold. So the Philistines came and spread out over the Raphaim Valley. Then David inquired of the Lord, should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord replied to David, attack, for I will certainly hand the Philistines over 
to you if it hadn't been for God. Or perhaps, perhaps David's talking about earlier in his life, this time when, when the Philistines challenged the, the army of Israel, but no one in Israel was brave enough to fight, and David wasn't a king then, he was just a shepherd boy who was banking on God's deliverance. Do you remember the story? David and Goliath. David's out in his fields tending his small amount of sheep. All of his brothers are off at war and his dad says to him, David, I need you to do something for me. David, like a good son, says, yes, father, what is it? He said, I need you to take some grain. I need you to take some bread. I need you to take it to your brothers out on the battlefield. David says, I got you, pops. Loads up the grain, loads up the bread, heads over to see his, his brothers. But as David approaches the battlefield, he notices something very interesting. They're not fighting at all. The Philistines are lined up on one side. The Israelites are lined up on the other side. And there's this dude, the Bible says, is over nine feet tall, who is standing saying, we don't even need to fight. Just send out your best warrior. If I kill him, you become our servants. But if he kills me, we'll become your servants. And this had been going on, David comes to find out, for 40 days. For 40 days. David sees this and it says in 1 Samuel 17 verse 26 that David says, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? But no one would fight. And so David goes and tells King Saul, I'll fight, I'll fight him. But Saul's not so sure off the jump. Because Saul says in 1 Samuel 17, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. Ah, but notice why David's so confident. You see, David had already had some of these if it hadn't been for God moments in his life. Because David answers Saul in 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 through 36. And he says, listen, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. So basically, David says, you're right. I'm not a soldier. I'm a shepherd. You know what I know really, really well? Sheep. But David says, but I know something else as well. Because he said, whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And so ultimately, David is saying, I might not know how to fight, but I've been in some if God hadn't been there situations. And David says, I know from the bear and I know from the lion. And perhaps before the bear and the lion, there was a wolf. And maybe before the wolf, there was a snake. And maybe before the snake, there was a bee. But what David can say is that God has a track record of showing up when I need him. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, when David says, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, maybe David's not thinking about his lifetime at all. Maybe David's thinking about all those years that the people of God were in captivity in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh, and then seemingly out of nowhere, God raised up Moses to deliver his people. 
Or maybe David is thinking of the time of the judges when even though the people rebelled against God, God raised up Otniel to deliver, deliver Israel from the king of Mesopotamia. Or maybe it's Ehud who God raised up to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Moabites. Or maybe it was Deborah who God used to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Canaanites. Or maybe it was Gideon who God used to deliver Israel from Midian. Or maybe it was Samuel who God, used, who God raised up to guide not only the people of Israel but two kings including David who were facing threats from the Philistines, from Egypt, from Assyria, and the Hittite Empire. I don't know what specifically David was thinking about, but all I know is that David had plenty of reasons to say, if the Lord had not been on our side. But here's why I mention all of this. Why it's so significant that David doesn't tell us who the adversary is. Because David's goal in Psalm 124 is not to teach what type of trials God shows up in, but rather that in the midst of any trial, in the midst of any situation, in the midst of any adversary, in any season, God has a record of showing up. And maybe, just maybe, David just wanted the people to spend some time reflecting on all the possible scenarios he could be talking about. Just to remind the people, of how faithful our God has been. You see, here's the thing, church. You and I, we desperately need to cultivate the practice of intentionally reflecting on God's past deliverance. We need to cultivate that, that habit of remembering. Somebody asked me once when I was preaching, why is it, Michael, that you seem... Maybe you've noticed this. Why is it, Michael, that you seem to kind of always come back to saying the same things? At first, I was insulted. But the reason that I kept coming back to saying the same things, the reason I so often say the same things to you is because we so often forget. We've not done a great job of cultivating this, this idea of remembering. And what we have to understand is that this idea of remembering, which we'll come back to again in a couple weeks, so stay tuned. This idea of remembering, it's riddled throughout all of Scripture. There is a constant and consistent call for the people of God to remember the deliverance of God. You can look at Deuteronomy 6.12. God says, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. You can look at Psalm 77:11, where Asaph says, I will remember the Lord's work. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. Or maybe it's the very picture in the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. There are entire psalms focused on the sole purpose of helping people remember. Psalm 38 begins and says, a psalm of David to bring remembrance. The beginning of Psalm 70 reads, for the choir director of David to bring remembrance. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I don't care who you are. And I don't care what your story is. There is not a one of us who have made it to this place and this point in our life if it had not been for God. You've heard me say this before, so let me say it again. 
some of us have been through some stuff. And we would do well not to forget. Some of us came from addiction. Some of us were out there sleeping around looking for our identity in people. Some of us have had abusive childhoods. Some of us have made poor financial decisions and we had no idea how we would get out of it. Some of us have battled sickness. Some of us have battled disease. Some of us are still battling as we sit in this place this morning. And yet, we are still here. And it's not because we are so smart. It's not because we are so strong. It's not because we are so righteous. If the Lord had not been on our side. Now, you might be thinking, well... That's all well and good, but my life's been pretty easy. You might be thinking, I haven't really wrestled through some of those things. I ain't battled addiction. I ain't come from an abusive home. I had great parents. I've, I've been pretty healthy. I've always kind of had money in my bank account. I mean, I would remember, but, but, but life's been pretty good. Well, I got one for you as well. I want you to notice something. Notice the words that David uses in verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Well, what's the theme there? You can talk. What, what's something he keeps referring to? Water. Does anybody know why water is significant in the Old Testament? Well, it's a good thing you came this morning. Somebody whispered it, you stole my thunder. Water typically signifies judgment. Remember the, remember the flood? Uh, it was judgment. When, 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 when the Old Testament references water, and often in the New Testament, although the connotation of water shifts a little bit with the coming of the Spirit in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, water typically signifies judgment. Now, now I want you to catch this. Don't forget this. David is writing with a particular adversary, a particular moment of conflict in mind, but what we cannot forget is that when we look at the Old Testament, the physical reality of God's people during their time often speaks to and teaches us lessons about the spiritual reality of people in every time. So, so let me explain it to you. I'm not saying that the Old Testament and the story of Israel is merely symbolic. That's not what I'm saying. What happened to them really happened to them. Their struggles, their joys, their failures, their hope, their, 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 their disappointments, it's real. It happened to a people, but God uses their physical story to teach us spiritual truth. So though David is using water to signify the devastation that could have happened if it were not for God, and he's thinking of a particular human adversary, the picture of judgment that the water reminds us of is meant to push us to consider something greater, greater than David's circumstances. Because yes, your life may have been relatively easy so far. And I'm going to be honest. I praise God for that. I don't wish ill on anybody, at least not in this room. <laughs> There's imprecatory prayers. We can do that. We just got to do it right. So now I got to teach an imprecatory song. Um, I, I'm, I'm thankful that your life has been pretty smooth. Seriously, that is the grace of God. Not everybody has that testimony. But it doesn't mean that you haven't had a real adversary. That if God hadn't intervened, like David says, the water would have engulfed you, the torrent would have swept over you, the raging water would have swept over you. Because what I'm thinking about is the same thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit working in the disobedient. Listen to this. He says, we too all previously lived among them. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were, here it is, by nature, children under wrath. The waters would have swept over you. What I'm trying to tell you is that every one of us who has had an adversary, and it may not have been a physical adversary, but there is a, a roaring lion who is, who, is, who is crawling around seeking someone that he could devour. And you see, every one of us has rebelled against God, and every one of us stands under the wrath of God. The waters of judgment are coming, and left to our own self, what David says would have been true of us, that the waters would have engulfed us. Judgment would have consumed us. See, Paul saying in different words the same thing that David's saying, if it hadn't been for God. Because then you get to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though you were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. You see, so like David, we too can declare if the Lord had not been on our side. And what that means is that if you ever doubt that he is, you can look to Jesus on the cross. And that should lead you to praise God because the Lord is on your side. This leads to the second, second period of time to which David looks. So after he's, he's focusing on on past deliverance. And David turns his attention to the present, specifically to present praise. Look at verses 6 and 7. David says, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn, and we have escaped. See, as David reflects on what God has done for him, he praises God. He praises God. And when you consider God's deliverance, praising God is the only right response. But there are two things that I want you to notice about this praise, and it's, it's very important to pick these two things up. See, first, David's, David's Present praise flows out of the magnitude of his past deliverance. Let, let me say that again, right? If you're taking notes, you, you write this one down. David's present praise flows out of the magnitude of his past deliverance. You see, this is important because as David reflects on the past deliverance, it leads him to present praise. Here's the reason I mention this. Here's the reason we've got to understand this. Because if we're honest in the Christian life, too often we base our praise off of our current situation. And particularly our emotions based off the current situation. Now hear me. I'm not saying it's wrong to praise God for the season you're in. I'm not saying that. Please praise God if you're in a good season. I want you to praise God if you're in a bad season. It's not, it's not categorically wrong to base your praise off of your current situation. I'm just trying to tell you it's not sustainable praise. 
It won't last. And the reason I say that is because if our praise is based primarily off whatever our current situation is, then what happens when the current situation goes sideways? What happens when it gets hard and you get hurt? If your praise is contingent on what you're going through at a given moment, then your praise will find itself, I would argue, more often than not lacking. Because you see, there are times in life, there are seasons when it just gets hard. Let me be even more transparent. There are seasons when you can look as best you can with your spirit-empowered eyes and you just cannot for the life of you understand why God is doing what he is doing in this moment. But often, God in his kindness teaches us in the future why we went through something in the past. Let me give you a couple examples to back my point up. Because some of you might be thinking, I've been through some stuff and I still don't know why God did it. Well, I don't know about your story, but I know about Job's. I know that that brother went through it. Like, that brother went through it. Sometimes we miss the magnitude of how much that brother went through. This was a wealthy man. But on top of that, a righteous man. You see, Job was probably one of the best of us. When it comes to righteousness. And then Satan says some of the scariest words at the beginning of Job. He goes into the presence of God and he says, have you considered my servant Job? Or sorry, Satan says to God, have you considered my servant Job? And God says, listen, do what you want. Just, just don't hurt him. And so Satan causes wind to blow. Satan causes storms to rage. Satan does what he does so well and influences rebellious hearts. And in a moment, David or Job lost everything. Job lost his family. His children were killed. His servants were killed. His wealth was stolen. And Job in that moment holds on. He says, naked I came, naked I'll go, but the name of the Lord be praised. But Satan's not done. As the story progresses, he inflicts physical pain on Job, and Job starts wrestling. He's in the midst of this current situation, and he holds on for a moment because he's reflecting on what God has done in the past. But then Job starts to focus on the present. And he begins to believe that maybe God is not that good. And for like 30 some odd chapters, Job tells us why he thinks God's not good. But then God speaks. And when God speaks, lessons are learned. And God communicates in far more eloquent and divine words, Job. I needed you to learn that I'm God and you're not. And then God restored Job and restored his possessions, restored his family. But it wasn't until he had gone through it that he understood what God was doing. 
give you one more example if you don't believe me. Consider Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul says, therefore, so that I would not exalt in myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself concerning this. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As I thought about that, I, had, I started to think that I think that if Paul knew right away what God was trying to do, he wouldn't have been praying for God to remove the thorn in the flesh. I think that, that Paul is later in life reflecting back on what God was doing, and he tells us the lesson that God was trying to teach him. I did this so that you wouldn't exalt in yourself. And because Paul now understands the lesson, he rejoices in the suffering because he knows that God is doing something in his life that only God can do. What I'm trying to tell you is that the weight of our praise should not be dependent on our current situation. The weight of our praise should be placed on God's past deliverance, specifically the gospel. Because like we said last week, if God does nothing else for you and he has saved your soul, you have all the reason to praise. Things might not be going well now. The bank account might not be overflowing. Your health might not be the greatest. Your children might not be doing what you want them to do. Your spouse might not be doing what you want them to do. But in the midst of all of that, if God has saved your soul, you have a reason to declare hallelujah. If God had not been on our side, we would have been destroyed. So David's present praise flows out of the magnitude of his past deliverance. Are you starting to see why remembering is so important? But I want you to also note before we move on from the present, notice that David wants other people to join into this praise. Look back at verses 1 and 2. If the Lord had not been on our side, and then he pauses, no, 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 let Israel say, If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us. You see, this is a song of ascent. And what a song of ascent is, is it's a song that would have literally been sung as the people were walking to the temple for worship. And so David, as he's leading this song, says, says, if the Lord had not been on our side. And then he stops. And I can imagine him looking back and saying, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. Look at King David starting the first turn to your neighbor and say. If the Lord had not been on our side. Listen, we talked about this a bit last week, so I don't want to belabor it, but we need to hear one another's praise. And on top of that, a worshipless world needs to hear the praise of a worshiping people. Because our God is good and our God is worthy to be praised. It's interesting, you know. I got a few extra minutes, so I'm going to say it. I I needed this lesson this week. Because I have been so fixated on my current situation. So fixated. She can vouch for this. When my wife walked in, I said, pray for me, because I don't really want to do this today. 
Like, your boy is struggling. I don't need to talk about it. Normally when you say that, everybody runs up afterwards and wants to talk about it. I'll grab you if I want to talk to you about it. But something happened. And when I came up to do the pastoral prayer and scripture reading and was a little bit hyped about the worship, it's because your worship, I needed it this morning. I needed to see you believe that God was good for a minute. Because I wasn't. I wasn't. And God used your praise to push mine out. We need to worship in community. You see, David understands that he is where he is because God has done what only God can do. And if God has done great things, the only appropriate response is to praise him, to praise him in our homes, to praise him in the sanctuary, to praise him in the streets, to let everything that has breath praise the Lord because God has done what only God can do. And it's seen most clearly in his past deliverance. Here's the last thing that I want you to see. Not only does David look to the past, not only does he praise in the present, but he looks to the future. And I want you to pay attention to David's future confidence. His future confidence. Look at what, look at what it says there in, in verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord. That's a sermon all in itself, right there. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And he says, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, as David praises in the present, the God who has proved his faithfulness in the past, he is building a future confidence. Let me say that again. As David praises in the present, the God who has proved his faithfulness in past deliverance, he is building future confidence. Because here's the thing. You may fall into that category I mentioned earlier that thought, listen, I know I need Jesus, but overall life has been pretty good. I haven't had any major things go wrong. I'm going to say it again. I praise God for that. But there is something that I can tell you with confidence. Please listen if you fall into that category. Ask any saint who has walked with Jesus for a decent amount of time. There will come a time in your life when your back is against the wall. There will come a time in your life when your skill, your money, your strength, your friends, your family, your reason will not be enough. And here is what David wants you to remember, that our confidence has never been nor should it ever be in ourselves. Our confidence is not in our bank accounts. It's not in our health. Our confidence is not in our family. It's not in our jobs. Our, our, our confidence is not in our own ability to overcome. And let, let's just be honest for a minute. We put our confidence in some strange things at times. We do. I mean, if you want a great example, look at politics today. Like, like I'm not picking a side. I'm really not. I'm not coming after anybody. I don't care who you voted for. I, I really don't. But if you sleep better at night depending on who is in the White House rather than based off who is sitting on the throne, 
then your confidence is in the wrong place. If your hope was diminished when Donald Trump lost the election, or if you finally felt like you had hope when Biden went into the White House, regardless of which side you're on, you have placed your confidence in the wrong thing. Because David wants us to remember that our help It's not in ourselves. It's not in our ability. It's not in our money. It's not in our friends, our family. It's not in our politics. It's not in anything that we possess in this world. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. Our confidence is in God and God alone. And this God isn't just anybody. This God is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the God who speaks and life comes to be. This is the God that the wind and the waves serve. This is the God whose glory the stars proclaim this is the God who dwells on high and holds the world in the palm of his hands and yet this is the God who reached low when we couldn't reach high this is the God who wrapped himself in flesh and took on the form of a servant this is a God who fulfilled the covenant of old which we failed to keep and then this is the God who instituted a new covenant not based on our obedience to the law but based on his perfect blood shed for us this is the God who hung on a cross crafted out of a tree designed by his own hand this is the God who gave up his breath so that we might breathe for the first time this is the God who laid in a grave and when the enemy thought that he had won this is the God who didn't need any outside help but got himself up and walked out of that grave this is the God who delivers this is the God who is strong and this is the God who is the maker of heaven and earth and if you haven't caught on yet this God is our God And this God is our help in times of trouble. And if it hadn't been for God, we would have no hope. But because of this God, we can say like Paul, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. Later on, he says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary and light affliction. And the only way it's momentary and light is when you see past deliverance. Our momentary and light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Therefore, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If it had not been for God, we would have nothing. But because of His great love for us, we have everything. So we trust Him. We praise him, and one day, saints, we will dwell with him. Blessed be the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, gracious God, our declaration this morning is the same declaration of the saints of old, That if you had not been for us, if you had not been for us, we would have surely been destroyed. 
if you had not been for us. Death and sin and the chains that bound us would still have us. But because you are for us and not against us, we have hope and we have confidence that no matter what happens in this life, you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And so, Lord, help us to be a praising people. Not just in this place, but when we're sitting in our homes, when we're out at our jobs, when we're with our friends, that we would be a worshiping people because we have seen and tasted the goodness that you offer through your past deliverance. And we believe that a God who has delivered once is surely strong to deliver again. We might not know how, we might not know when, but we trust you. We trust you. May our testimony be if it hadn't been for God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.